should retail establishments or any offices that bring the public in also have signage up that it's essentially warning the public, we are following the CDC guidelines. We are not validating people's vaccination status. That means that by you coming into our establishment, you may be exposing yourself to people who are lying to us. Welcome to the Rain Insights on COVID-19 podcast. In today's episode, a federal mask mandate that left elation, confusion, and a little bit of concern in its wake, debunking vaccine myths and how vaccines may affect summer camp. Fred and Bill, again, thank you in advance for your time. This has been a very eventful week. New CDC guidelines, uh, the rollout of vaccine for younger people and you know, questions around school reopenings and uh, what kids should be expecting and their parents, and also uh, a fair amount of focus on variants around the world. So why don't we start with the new CDC guidelines? Bill, you want to lead off? Well, sure. That was uh, it was quite a, it was something of a, I don't want to say a shock yesterday, but from a, a the business world where I'd spend most of my time is, is consulting with businesses, it was something of a shock because people expected more like is happening in the United Kingdom, where there is a warning order, so to speak, that new guidelines will be coming. Instead, this was just dropped dropped in everybody's lap, which you'd think, okay, this is good news. We're going to be, be um, dropping mass guidance. But from a business world, it's very difficult because they clearly said in the guidelines that while the CDC is removing the recommendation for mask wearing for fully immunized people, the exceptions in there included individual businesses that they had to make their own choices. So now businesses are left between employees and customers who are seeing uh, that the that there is, according to the CDC, if you're fully vaccinated, no reason to wear masks against a year now of established policy, education, um, enforcement in some cases of why this is so important. And how do you as a business pivot from this is incredibly important to never mind. <laughs> and that's one of the big issues that, that it's, it's coming down to. Um, I think that there are probably some reasons that are not purely medical about why this was made. And I won't, won't go down there, except on the medical side, I will say there is a kind of a medical political reason in that we are seeing the, uh, the vaccine uptake plateau. And I believe and I've seen, I, I don't know this for a fact from government, but I've seen lots of comment about this, that one of the reasons for putting in this exception to mask wearing for people who are fully vaccinated is to give one more incentive to people to go out and get vaccinated, which I believe is a good thing. But it does it is for the next couple of weeks is going to throw some significant uh, confusion in as to, OK, I'm walking into this store. What is the policy here? I'm walking into that store. Oh, they're following the CDC guidance. And it's going to be a little uh, difficult for people to um, navigate that, uh, that these differing policies on a store-by-store, location-by-location basis. Bill, you outline a key problem. We're having to change our entire approach to infection control. I agree with you. It was very quick, but this data has been brewing. 
And the reason we that we all those that are vaccinated by we, you and I, Bill and David, we all are vaccinated. The evidence now is overwhelming, not only in the from the original trials, but real life scenarios that these vaccines are 94 to 97 percent protective and virtually almost 100 percent protection against uh, serious disease, hospitalization or death. And then the other exciting thing that's they finally agreed to the data that had been coming out of Israel is that if you're vaccinated, you don't spread the infection. So you don't get sick if you're exposed and you will not spread the infection. Therefore, it really made sense to say that those that are vaccinated can go about uh, as though they have a normal life. Now, the issue that comes up, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, Bill, and from talking to the business community and David, what about those that aren't vaccinated? Well, those that are vaccinated are totally safe under these conditions. Those that are not are at risk because if they go into the crowded areas or places and there are other unvaccinated individuals, they are at risk for getting infection. Those that are vaccinated are not. So uh, it puts anyone who is, now that we're in the mass or off, uh, this puts anybody that's not vaccinated in considerable danger. I think part of the thought process there, it puts them in danger of getting infected and, and developing disease. But the other side is that most people who are at risk, either through age or through comorbidities, they're the ones who have, because of fear, if nothing else, have been getting vaccinated. So for the, the great bulk, not, not obviously not 100%, but for the great bulk of people who are at risk, they have been vaccinated. And the data is pretty, pretty good on that, especially for the age side of that. Maybe we, the data is a little harder to get for the, um, the people who have other at-risk conditions. But if we take serious disease and death off the table, but infection risk is still there. Is, is it really a, something that we want to uh, impede people's ability to go about their life normally? And I think that's the, that's the big thing. We've, we, we've said all along, we need to protect all of society from getting the disease so that we don't spread it to those who are vulnerable. But now the people who are vulnerable, vulnerable have, for the most part, taken that vulnerability away. So there's less concern along those lines. Yeah, I agree. The, the likelihood of death and serious complication is lower, but we are seeing that individuals aged 30 to 50 are getting, now that others are vaccinated, they are the ones that are ending up in the ICUs and some of them dying. So it's less common, but it does occur. And this virus um, can can, if you get a large enough inoculum, can kill anyone. Agree completely. But I think we're getting to the point where statistically, you know, just about everybody who wants to get vaccinated has been vaccinated. We're not there yet. You know, there's there's probably still five, five to 10 percent that we need to get. And we're uh, we're vaccinating at a rate of about a half a percent per day. Now that we're getting the kids in there, that'll be a little bit different. I think we'll talk about that in a, in a minute. So, you know, over the next two weeks, um, I think we're going to be pretty much at the, have used up the population that wants to get vaccinated. So then we're still going to, then the people are going to be out there are people who 
don't understand the education they've been given, or they've just made a decision that they're not going to get vaccinated. I thought the the CDC guideline figure, which showed green all the way down for every single activity for vaccinated, and red and orange for a lot of those that are a lot of activities for those that are not vaccinated. Really, I can't imagine that's not going to encourage people to become vaccinated because you see that little uh, figure shows that you can return to normal if you're vaccinated. You won't have to worry anymore. So I, I'm hoping, and, and you alluded to this, Bill, that this new policy will encourage those that are not vaccinated to be vaccinated so they can be more normal in their, in their life. Let me add one other level of complexity, which has come up from the business community uh, in light of the CDC announcements, which is that they are wondering, just to add some complexity to this bill, beyond decisions business by business, there are governors who have yet to accept the CDC guidelines. At least as of a few hours ago, New York was one of them. And I'm curious how you, how both of you are sort of processing that and how do you square that circle? I've spent almost the entire day up till now on the on the uh, Zoom calls and, and Teams calls uh, with companies talking about exactly this. And uh, kind of what we're coming down to in, in most settings is, you know, let's let let's not change any rush into changing any policies. You know, stores are going to keep mask policies on for the next week or so and let this percolate out a little bit and let um, let you know, local governments, local and state governments uh, make a decision on what they're going to do and then and then go from there. But we, the the concern is that we may not have that because people are going to read this and they're going to say, I'm done with it. I'm done with masking. You don't want me in your store. But you don't want me to mask. You don't want me to keep a mask on. Then I'm not coming to your store. Or you don't want me to take my mask off, so I'm not coming to your store. Yeah, th this is really a, a, a dilemma. The for the first time, though, masks are are, are really not going to be helpful for those that are vaccinated. They don't do not need them. And the the issue that comes up uh, is should should stores have a verification that you're vaccinated before you can go into the store. Now, if every employee of that store is vaccinated, it doesn't matter whether someone's masked or not if they're, if they're not vaccinated. That's the beauty of this. What it tells you is all if employees that are interacting with the public need to be vaccinated now, there's no other way. And if they're not vaccinated, they're going to wear a mask. But the mask, in general only partially protects you. It's really more to prevent you from spreading to others. So I, uh, you know, I think that em the employees really, uh, I don't know what the liability is here. If you're not vaccinated, you are going to be at greater risk now with this new policy. I think that's the perfect policy that puts the responsibility to that individual. And if that individual says they're vaccinated and they are not, and they're uh, walking around without a mask, and they get sick, uh, was their decision. So just to, you know, balance this out and take it to the second and third order consequence, and, and the original theme that you guys started with is that this announcement came as a surprise, and businesses want predictability, academic institutions want predictability, 
And what seems to have been lost here is thinking through, I'll call it the second and third and fourth order of consequences. I'll give you uh, yet another point that you know came from a conversation I had with the business leaders, which is the announcement that people heard at least yesterday was that if you're vaccinated, you can take off your mask. Now, less, less heard were some of the conditions around that. Uh, and what was shared with me, and, and I'm, I'm curious for your reaction, is as someone said, if the message is you can take off your mask if you've been vaccinated, and I am running a business where I'm telling people that at least for now we're going to stay the course, social distance, wearing a mask, etc., that if you are wearing a mask, you are signaling to people that you haven't been vaccinated when in fact maybe what you're signaling is an abundance of caution until such time as we can verify who amongst us and who's coming into work actually was vaccinated. Does that make some sense to you in terms of, you know, what's going on out there in, in, in the real world and in the business community? Right. You're asking is, is the mask going to be the scarlet letter of our generation? Or, 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 or if, if an organization is acting in an abundance of caution until they can figure out how to sort of validate who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been, if you are wearing a mask, what people will assume is, in fact, you haven't been vaccinated. You're amongst that group of people that won't get vaccinated. Hence, you're wearing a mask. One of the discussions that's going on in many circles right now is should retail establishments or any, uh, this would apply to offices that bring the public in also, should they have something, and I'm not going to be able to phrase this well and probably say it too long, but have have signage up that it's essentially warning the public that we are following the CDC guidelines. We are not validating people's vaccination status. That means that by you coming into our establishment, you may be exposing yourself to people who are lying to us uh, by te- by not having a mask on. You need to understand that that risk and make a decision on what you personally want to do. Now, obviously, you can't put that on a sign going into a retail store, but that that kind of thought process um, starts to come into play. And how do you how do you address that? Um, in a meaningful, understandable fashion. Yeah, the, the the big difference here is before, if individuals, when no one was vaccinated and, and no one had immunity, when a person didn't wear a mask, uh, they were they were not only putting themselves at risk, but they were putting others at risk because if they had the virus, they would transmit more droplets and aerosol uh, and would not be blocked by a mask. The beauty is in this situation, everybody that is truly vaccinated is safe. They don't have to wear a mask. Those that are not vaccinated, if they don't wear a mask, they hurt themselves and other individuals that are not vaccinated. They will not hurt those that have stepped up the plate and gotten vaccinated. So it's a very different situation here. Um, and it's it's a little less, in my view, it's a little less of a moral dilemma than it was before. And I think the one caveat is is as long as you're in a region where they're based on the statistical view of the of the um, the number of people who've been vaccinated and the number of people by survey who said they don't want to get vaccinated, as long as everybody 
you have reasonable confidence that everybody has had the opportunity to get vaccinated. So the ones that are not have made a choice not to do that, or they have a medical condition and they know they need to be taking special precautions. And that's, that's kind of on them too. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Bill. I think from an employer standpoint, it is their obligation to make sure that every single one of their employees has had the opportunity to be vaccinated. That's really important. And one of the problems I've heard about are some people are working such long hours uh, that they can't get the vaccine, or if they get the vaccine and are sick, they don't get any sick days, they, they lose their pay, which, which discourages some individuals to get vaccinated. A responsible employer would give sick days if someone gets uh, the side effects that are pretty common after these vaccines for 24, 48 to 72 hours. They agree they will pay them during that period of time, and they should give them the time, some time off to get vaccinated. You know, you, you going down that road of the um, employer payment, some of the systems that have been in place, even for people who don't typically, you know, hourly employees that don't necessarily have uh, sick days and things like that. Um, over the course of the pandemic, and in, in some cases by law, people required to pay individuals who are out of work because they were quarantined. Now, out of work because they were sick is a different story, but out of work because they are quarantined. You know, Now, with the vaccine taking the quarantine requirement off the table, Many companies in in states where it's it is permissible to do so are taking that quarantine pay off the table, and I think that's completely reasonable. All right, I'm not even going to up, open Pandora's box around uh, counterfeit uh, vaccination certificates, which are making their way in the marketplace. I got a report from law enforcement. Just one thing on that: the uh, EU Council of Ministers met Tuesday, and they were expecting to say that as of June first, that you know basically open borders in the EU if you had a vaccine certificate. But what they came down to saying was, right now they don't have any systems that they believe could be a trusted way of verifying that by June first, and so they're punting to July 1st, and they're asking their their IT people and their collaboration people to figure it out between now and then. Yeah. And, and to that point, look, government officials have their hands full in so many ways. But uh, what this pandemic has, at least one of the lessons imparted, is the importance of thinking out not just what is immediately ahead, second, third, fourth, fifth, 20th order of consequences, here and once uh, you know that a a passport, uh, a vaccine passport, can make a difference about where you can go and what you can do. No surprise, there's going to be a market for counterfeit ones, right? And so here we are, uh, all of which we've sort of seen before. Let me switch gears with you uh, to talk about what I'll say is positive news with respect to younger people and, and children, and maybe you can bring us up to date uh, around the vaccine rollout for um, younger adults. And also they're talking about even uh, making it available for younger people and how to think about schools and camps and all the things that had to be shut down uh, over the last year. 
most of those are opening this year. And even before the vaccine um, was approved, was authorized for age 12 and up, um, most camps were because kids generally speaking, do not get extremely sick or die from this. Yes, there are always exceptions. Um, camps were opening with appropriate COVID protocols in place. But now we have a vaccine authorized for age 12 and up. And it was just kind of interesting that it was the, the paradigm was backwards from what it was with the adult approvals. The FDA authorized it first. And then a few days later, the, the advisory committee on immunization practices came out and said, Okay, and here's how you do it. Most most states and and the pharmacies held off until ASIP came out with their guidelines on Wednesday and just started uh, administering it to the 12 to 15 year olds uh, beginning yesterday. Um, what that is going to do is is bring us to herd immunity sooner. Not that we know where that herd immunity number is, but wherever it may be, um, it's going to get us there sooner if we get a large number of these. Uh, adolescents, including the the 15, 16, 18 year olds that have already been authorized, if we can get a large number of these adolescents immunized, we're going to get much, much closer to herd immunity much, much sooner. Um, you've you got to remember that over the past three weeks in the United States, the vaccine rent rate went from about 4 million a day on average down to where we are now, 2 million a day. I haven't seen, seen the data for yesterday when the kids were first brought into it. But that's a 50% drop in the vaccine, the vaccination rate, which is a little bit concerning because when we're not at herd immunity yet. So um, the the other consideration that I keep getting asked about the, the 12 to 15 year olds is, okay, these kids would not get ill from the disease to any significant extent. Yes, there were the occasional kid that could get ill, just like the occasional kid gets very, very sick and dies from influenza. Um, but generally speaking, they're not going to get significantly uh, uh, hurt by the disease. But we're, now we're sticking a foreign substance into them, and there is a knowable, predictable rate of side effects from that from that. Um, immunization. Is that ethically justifiable? And that's a large part of what, what the advisory committee on immunization practices looked at. And it's very, very similar argument to the discussion regarding the human papillomavirus. And I think I talked about that last week, that there is a look at the societal benefit to getting us all to herd immunity, protecting society as a whole, decreasing the rate of the possibility rate of variance. Uh, so for all of those reasons, even though there is not a may not be a measurable, significant direct benefit to the individual child, the benefit to society as a whole overcomes that. Some people disagree with that, but that's the that's the logic behind the delivering immunization to a population that is not at high risk of, of being hurt. The good news is the, the safety profile for this age group so far has been uh, very, very good as well. And um, as far as protection from disease, they, the placebo happened, to, the control group happened to get about, I think it was around 16 infections, and the vaccination group got zero. So that means 100% efficacy in this group, although it's a very small series. So that's tremendous protection. And uh, having been a camp doctor in the past, the value of, of uh, preventing uh, infection, even if they doesn't uh, hospitalize you, 
Uh, let me tell you, when you get an infectious disease spreading through a camp, which they can do like wildfire, all camp activities shut down and often the kids end up going home. So even though they're not going to get very sick, it will throw off the entire routine of the camp and really destroy that, that activity. So I, I think for and for sports, a uh, similar thing with teams. Uh, now the teams won't have to worry about if some one person comes in and they won't spread it to the entire team in the locker room. So I think it changes, uh, the, it normalizes uh, our, our, our children's activities in a very positive way. So I think the the cost benefit the benefit ratio benefit over harm is tremendous, even though it's we don't uh, necessarily measure it in lives. You already touched on this in some of our prior conversations, but could you give us an update on some of the variants that are now being detected around the world? And as you have, you've both been very very clear to say that the vaccine is 95% effective is incredible and remarkable, uh, but doesn't mean that uh, people won't still contract COVID. And obviously, if they do, it'll be uh, less of a serious illness. Uh, but already there's some reports, uh, principally uh, one of the hometown teams here in New York, the coaches who were vaccinated nonetheless came down with COVID. So as you think about variants around the world and you think about, uh, I think they use the term jumping, um, how should people think about it? What should we be watching? And what is the data now telling you? The original uh, three mutants that uh, we've discussed before are uh, the UK mutant, the B1.1.17, which really is uh, now one of the predominant strains in the U.S. The good news is we've talked about before, the vaccine covers this. There's no drop in efficacy whatsoever. The second mutant, which really hasn't taken hold in the U.S. as much, is the South African, the B.1.351. And that has uh, what we call the eek mutation, an E to a K at 484, which actually does change the conformation of the spike protein and hide some of the uh, targets for the vaccine. And uh, it did drop the efficacy of the AstraZeneca to a certain extent, uh, but it's, recent evidence shows that the Moderna uh, and the mRNA vaccines, or their efficacy is, is hold, holds up very nicely. And uh, when it comes to death, or in, Syria, or in hospitalizations, even the AstraZeneca and the J&J do okay with that. Uh, the uh, third one we've talked about before is the Brazilian mutant, the P1, and that also has the mutation. Um, there aren't many studies on that one yet. That one, fortunately, is not spread to a great extent uh, in, the, in, the U, in the U.S. Now, the new one that is uh, taking hold is... is predominant in India is the B1.617. And that has a mutation also at 484, which is the mutation that changes the conformation and uh, weakens the efficacy of the vaccines somewhat. But it has an E484 to a Q, so it's a little different amino acid. And then it has a, diff a second mutation 
L452 to, to, to an R. And exactly how the vaccines are going to hold up for this mutant, I don't think is, is really been clarified yet. There, and there does seem, then when they do serum dilutions, uh, looking at neutralization studies, these uh, really, it takes a higher concentration or it, it, it's not as effective at, uh, at higher dilutions. So there's some evidence that efficacy could be a little bit lower for this Indian mutant. Now that one is not uh, really in the U.S. as yet. So hopefully it will not get here and we won't have to worry about it. But And that was one of the reasons that the CDC said uh, vac- those that are vaccinated didn't need to wear a mask because the mutants that are present, in, the variants that are present in the U.S., uh, the vaccines are effective against. So we at this juncture, we do not have to worry about variants and therefore uh, the need for masks has has been dramatically uh, has really been eliminated for now. And maybe one related good piece of news is that in India, uh, as their vaccine program is starting to take a little bit better hold, they're I believe they're just about to enter double digit percentage um, of people vaccinated. Um, they now have a ten day downward trend on the number of cases. So is it just that the the epidemic is you know has burned out this phase of it, or is is are the immunizations actually having some benefit, or a combination of both? Yeah, I think there's reason to believe that the vaccines uh, will uh, still uh, protect a lot of people. It may not be quite as protective, but still it will be of benefit. I'm, I'm sure of that. Okay, last words uh, from both of you in light of the new CDC guidelines. I've decided after looking over all the evidence, if you're vaccinated, you can go about your business normally with the exception of hospitals and uh, mass transportation. Otherwise, your life can now be normal. And, and what an incredible uh, achievement. This is a scientific achievement. Uh, this has been. And I agree completely. The, uh, the only caveat is people should have patience because these commercial entities that are out there, retail stores, um, yeah, all any businesses, anything like that, they just they need a couple of weeks to adjust to this. So if you go into a store and someone tells you to put your mask on, please just put your mask on and deal with it for the next couple of weeks. Um, but we'll be through this this phase of this fairly quickly. Bill, that's a good idea. I was thinking I wasn't going to bring a mask anymore, but I think I will just for that uh, exact purpose. Okay. So keep it at, at the very least in your back pocket. Bill, Fred, as always, thank you uh, for your pragmatic and common sense advice and obviously evidence-based insights. We'll see you next week and thanks again for the talk. Right. Thank you, David. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Thank you, David. Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Sign up for our coronavirus solution to get critical information on the COVID-19 pandemic and vaccines delivered daily. Visit us at RAINNetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E-Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. 
Thanks for listening. 